Hey there and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Sad to report that my main manbius, Extreme G, Gar Kidney, isn't with us this week. He's away on assignment. But fear not, we have our other hosts to carry the load. First, he is a platforming prodigy. He's wearing a sweet Mario Kart t-shirt. It's Mark Robinson. Pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. I'm here. I'm ready to talk all of the games that have happened i'm so fucking tired i <laughs> you, don't know i you, just can't do this you, you came in fucking hot there i oh, just man. bailed out i've got no fucking energy this week it was it, the, the start of this week was a disaster and i've been playing catch up since so and the, I, I think the mugginess of the weather isn't uh, it's not great it's not great. It's like, you know, if you're going to be warm, be just fucking sunny and warm and just give us everything. But when it's been grey and it's muggy as well, I just it's just a slap. You know, it's a slap in the face. Something we all bemoan on this show is recording during the summer because... We all have various forms of uh, room cooling assistance um, that is too loud to have on when, when microphones are on. And during the summer, we have to suffer in the heat. Um, I may have to start uh, turning off my video feed on this because generally it gets so warm in this little office, I have to pop the top off halfway through and you guys aren't getting Woof. that shit for free. I'll oh, tell you man. that. That's, that's that's when we start the Patreon, right? Yeah. Got it. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's that's on the OnlyFans. Uh, that other voice you hear is, of course, Mister Chelsea himself, a man who, by the sounds of it, is living three quarters of a mile from the surface of the sun this week. It's Jack Lazell. Yeah, pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. My very own house of pain is how friggin' hot it is. Luckily for me, like maybe five or six years ago, I bought one of those portable air conditioners. I think maybe even more than that. Now, Mark, you've seen how goddamn ridiculously big this thing is. That's like, it's it's something you would find in an office, not in a bedroom the size of one Jack Lazell's. I think it was like a bedroom the size of Jack Lazell. I was like, that would be very uncomfortable for him to lie in. Uh, it's well, precisely one Jack Lazell in diameter. <laughs> yeah it's like one of those um you know those sort of like japanese hotels where you just get like a little pod but very specifically you have to squeeze me inside like sausage and a tube uh no <laughs> it's not really like that so uh, i bought it when i had like no money i was like i think i was working part-time at the time and i spent 250 quid on an air conditioner for my room people thought i was crazy but uh, it's you it's played the long game here, Jack. New one. I was playing the long game, and uh, it's really helped me out for like the you know month or two a year. I actually have to use it. It just yeah, it makes things so much better. And considering like if I'm working from home, I usually work from my bedroom. I don't think I'd be still alive. I think I'd be a melted pile of wax were I to have uh, not had this today. So yeah, I'm looking uh, I'm looking lustfully at it as it's turned off across the room right now. It. In my head canon, your uh, portable AC is just like a podcast intern you've hired to blow in your face. <laughs> you never know. Hollywood Jack Lazell. How was your birthday, Dave? How about you? I, I drew level with Jesus this week. Um, so I intend to spend the next uh, 364 days as we're recording this, just avoiding nails and bits of wood. Um, and hopefully I'll make it through this one as well. Um, 
Yeah, it was a good day. Went out to Galway, in the west of Ireland. Ate some sweet food. Gentlemen, I had a uh, maple and chipotle fried chicken burger for lunch yesterday. And it was fucking sensational. Um, It was like one of those places where they put arguably too much thought into the burger. Because like the chipotle, the, the hot sauce they had was homemade, like in-house. Um, and the, the maple element comes from the, the chicken itself prior to being coated is brined for, I think, 24 hours in maple syrup. So it's got like that, that sweet hit when you bite into the chicken and then just that big kick off the, the sauce then when, when you get down to it. Dave, how did you get that much extraneous information about your burger? Uh, they delight in telling you when you order it in this place. Um, it's like, so the menu inside is like lovingly written about every ingredient. And then, you know, as you're talking to it, oh, I really like this burger because this and this, but not in like, I've been places where they very obnoxiously are into their menus, but no, these people are just like, they're just burger people. They're having a great time. Shout out Burger Story in Galway. Imagine um, you just went in there and you're like, I'll take a plain hamburger, please. None of that fancy yeah. ketchup that you get on the, on I, the east coast I, of Ireland. I, I often think one of the like the the real pushy menu experience was I don't know if I told the story on this show or it was I think it was on a Days of Thunder I told it because Lee was there. We were in a favorite of ours, Mark Meat Wagon in Smithfield. And the waitress there was really insistent on trying to get me to order dessert when Lee and Johnny were in the bathroom. And they, like, firstly, it was one of those waiting experiences where they sit down beside you at the table. I'm not into that. I am not into that at all. That mm-hmm. feels weird. I've um, never had that before. Oh, yeah. No, I don't, it's, I it's, don't it's, like it's, it at all. Yeah, it happens in a lot of these hipster places. Um, never. No, yeah. never experienced that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly the most approachable person, so that, yeah. that's working on my side. Um, yeah, but they're actually, also trying to sell you food, though, so like they yeah. will go the extra mile. But to me, it's awkward. Yeah, it happened to me actually, Jack, in the um, Paddy and Bun when I was over in England as well. Um, we wasn't like sit down. Now, this one in Meatwagon sat down directly beside me on a bench. At least in Paddy and Bun, the person sat at like the spare chair at the opposite end of the table to me. Um, but yeah, so this this woman sits down and she's just like, can I interest you? And she's sitting a bit like, she, her face is a bit a foot away from my face. Like if I didn't know any better, it's where she was making a move on me. And I was like, would you like some dessert? And I was like, no, not really. And then she leans in very slightly closer and she's like, but we have cheesecake. And I was like, that's great. But I'm absolutely, you saw the event we had. I'm absolutely stuffed. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And then leans in to the point where like I can feel her breath on my face and goes is Dulce de Leche cheesecake <laughs> I was like no that that's okay thank you I appreciate it Thanks. I mean she may well have been coming on to you by the sounds of things yeah cheesecake is her love language I somewhat respect the hustle but at the same time um you know, if if I can potentially put a restraining order on you when you're trying to sell me food, maybe maybe you're going a bit too far. I would have just fucking ordered the cheesecake. She never would have got that close to me. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, that's it, that's it, Jack. You weren't saying no to the cheesecake at the first time of asking. <laughs> she would have been maintaining a safe distance. In fact, she wouldn't have even needed to come over. I would have just been like Matt Berry in Snuffbox shouting whiskey, just like, cheesecake! <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah, really good day. I got um, on the way home, but I haven't tried it too much. Uh, Mario Strikers. Um, and I spent my birthday money ordering myself a sweet Ajax jacket, which will be arriving here in the next couple of days. So, you know, got some cool swag out of it as well. And actually, let me, <laughs> speaking of getting cool swag, um, I, the, I did, over the couple of days preceding my birthday, went through a process that I can only describe as being morbed to bits. <laughs> as a, a certain co-host who shall go who shall remain nameless let's call him mr jack l no 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 that's too obvious mr j lazel uh, sent a series of packages to my house very thoughtful by the way thank you very much buddy but all of them addressed to one dr michael davius <laughs> The first two, so there was three packages. The first two arrived at the same time, and um, Emma was about to chase the postman up the street because she's not in on the gag because only the four of us and the people that have been subjected to this gag by listening to the show know what this is. Um, but yeah, I thought, who's Dr. Michael Davebius? And then I was just like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, it was Jack. She's like, how do you know it was Jack? And I said, it was Jack. <laughs> and I was like, Garrett, I'm pretty sure doesn't know my address and uh, Mark wouldn't subject himself to more Morbius references than he has to in a given week. It was Jack. <laughs> and lo and behold, it absolutely was. Then the, and yeah, among them was my, um, he's just out of reach here, but my, uh, my Gengar plush toy that I've named Gengary. Um, so really appreciate that, friend. Then, Perhaps in the most unintentional comic timing of all time, the third present arrives. Jack had said there was something else coming. And I had forgotten to mention to Emma something else was coming. So I was in work the following day and I get a text message that's just a screen cap of another parcel saying Dr. Michael Davius with the caption, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then I got home. And I opened it and Emma heard me shout for fuck's sake from downstairs <laughs> because it was none other than the official Morbius calendar of 2022. <laughs> I, I have to be honest, I am surprised that that, like, that's, I'm presuming that is official, that is legit, right? Uh, it would appear to be, my friend. I mean, I only deal in the most legitimate of goods, Mark. How dare you? It's... Yeah kind of wild that that exists because you'd be thinking that considering wait when did morbius come out it was what march like march or april yeah march yeah. so it came out during that, month bias yeah so I, that's true that that is a fair point so either that thing was available at the end of last year when the film wasn't out yet or someone's just decided all right we have to start pushing Morbius yeah. now. It's probably one of those that the movie, the movie got delayed so many times that they probably had this shit ready to go for a <laughs> long time before that the is movie also, came out. Yes. Do you know my yeah. favourite thing about it is that Dave's birthday is obviously in friggin' June. So essentially I've got him a calendar for the next six and a bit months. <laughs> yeah. It's it's such a pointless nope. like nope. gift on a number of levels. Yeah, and, yeah. It is exceptional. and Mark, it actually gets worse because... So I saw the calendar... I took the calendar out of the par out of the package. I brought it upstairs to my office. And as I turned around to go back out of the office, something fell out of the calendar. And it was a gift note. <laughs> 
and allow me to read this gift note to you. Amazon.co.uk. A gift from Dr. Michael Morbius. <laughs> now you know what date. Now you'll know what date it is for the next six months. <laughs> Morbius style. <laughs> Happy birthday from Dr. Michael Morbius. <laughs> Yeah. See, now I made the mistake with Mark of sending him some cool, like, cuphead thing and then not putting my name on it. And then and then he was like, oh, whoever sent me this. And then I was like, for a while, I was, like, playing it. Like, oh, I just don't want to tell him that I sent him the cuphead thing. But then I thought, it's actually really, it's just funnier to just kind of own up and admit it was me that did these dumb things. So you're both welcome. Sorry, yeah, I didn't yeah. send you a Morbius calendar, the, Mark, the, but your time will come in January yeah, of next I mean, year. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be even funnier for Jack in January to send you last year's Morbius calendar. <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, at this point, I'm expecting all three of you fuckers to send me one individually. Yeah. Oh my god. I just like the unintentional. Like, obviously, it's a very funny gag. Anyway. But the fact that completely unintentionally the Morbius calendar happened to arrive by itself and last and that after seeing the calendar, only then did I discover the note that I didn't discover them both at the same time, <laughs> that it went in phases of me being appalled. <laughs> the first one, I you screenshot that thing of Emma from just the, the, the envelope with the address highlighted and then just the FFS in the text message. That popped me the hugest. She's just like, Oh god! Yeah. Uh, it would have been amazing if I just kept lining stuff up over the course of the next week or two. Say, at what point does Emma <laughs> just completely lose it and just refuse yeah. to collect the post? I'm living in my own personal monthbius. <laughs> yep. I'm just thankful that the Amazon guy left it there because I the idea of me going down to the sorting office. <laughs> uh, uh, after that, like this is cosmic justice for the time that you had to walk to your local post office to collect something that I believe I had addressed to Jack, Mr. Chelsea Lazell. That is entirely true. Yes. I mean, he might have that on his ID. Yeah. In fairness. Oh, no. Next time I send Jack something, it's going to be like Jack, John Terry did nothing wrong. Lazell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeesh. How dare um, you? <laughs> all right. And on that note. Yeah, um, let's talk about what we've seen. Um, Honestly, I no, I want to hear Jack talk about Jurassic World Dominion because all I've heard is that it's not very good and I want to hear from the big man himself. Well, now. Uh, let's I go to official podcast dinosaur correspondent, Jack Lazell. <laughs> uh, you know, I love them sores. Um, so Jurassic World Dominion is... One of the dumbest pieces of shit I've seen in a while. <laughs> since, since, since Morbius? Since Morbius. Now look, don't get me wrong, before I, before I say kind of what I think about the plot, I do want to point out that there were a few things in this movie that I did like. It is very cool to see the mixture of generations. So like Chris Pratt and um, Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, cavorting and hanging out with Sam Neill and Laura Dern and, and Jeff Goldblum, right? That is really cool. Uh, it's just to see them all on screen at the same time, it popped me. Because I'm a fan of the movies, you know? I, I liked it. Um, th there were some really good action scenes in here, some really cool chases. There was like a chase through uh, the back streets of Malta. And I don't often feel like you see Malta captured on camera. So that was pretty cool. Um, 
just that there was a new character in the movie um called kayla who was a pilot who was really just i don't know just like an injection of charisma into the movie in moments where the movie was a bit flat and repetitive kind of because that's that's one of the things that i found remarkable that those last two movies is that Chris Pratt was signed up for them on the basis of him being like a very charismatic and charming screen presence, and he got fucking none of that in those mo- in these movies. Oh, they gave him nothing, yeah. Um, but so Devonda Wise, who played Kayla, was was really cool. I thought she did have charisma, and you know, you were just immediately rooting for her, even though uh, you know, I, I won't. I'll, I'll say my last point, and then I will bury it. Jeff Goldblum is fantastic in this movie, mainly because he's Jeff Goldblum. Right. There's even a reference to like him having his shirt open a little bit at one point, and you know, obviously the famous meme of him like sprawled out of the shirt open that they even made massive and put next to the Tower Bridge in London as a statue at one point. Google that if you don't believe me. That literally happened. Uh, and yeah, they do a little callback to that. And there's a bit where they're all running into a control room to try and get the power back on at this really important moment in the movie, and they're all kind of planning and plotting. And Jeff Goldblum just kind of strides over to the nearest table, kicks his feet up finds a pack of peanuts and just starts eating the packet of peanuts and in my head i'm like i'm sure he was maybe meant to do that but it kind of also just felt like jeff goldblum was sick of hearing about all the dumb plot of this movie and he just genuinely felt like he wanted to do that in the moment yeah i feel like jeff goldblum if they wanted to make a series of non-canonical films with the uh the unbearable weight massive talent thing that they did with nicholas cage i feel like they could do one with goldblum next the thing is though he's almost too odd to do that like cage has done very conventional movies whereas chef goldblum's energy is just too strange i don't actually know how you do unbearable weight of massive talent with jeff goldblum it would feel like an entirely different movie the unbearable weight of massive weirdo exactly he's not even a weirdo he's just i know he's a bit of a weirdo eccentric he's he's just he operates in a a different dimension than other human beings i guess that makes him a weirdo kind of but it it feels like everything that he does is on purpose yet it seems like nothing that he does makes sense but in his head everything every movement makes sense anyway so bury this film come on look the plot's stupid it's (laughs) underdeveloped it's so dumb like the villain the plot plot is because i i haven't seen the last film i saw the does anyone care about spoilers by the way spoiler alert if anyone really wants to watch jurassic world so i i saw the first one the reboot whatever you want to call it and you know it was fine sure whatever i didn't see the second one Uh, Um, all you need to know about the second one mark is that there was a laser guided dinosaur in it dave not gonna lie to you mate the laser guided dinosaurs were back I'm like, I'm kinda, in my head, I'm, I'm thinking, happy. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they're just going to write that off as a mistake. There wasn't just one laser-guided dinosaur, though, Dave. They had laser-guided raptors in this. Right. And <laughs> the sort of mid-boss villain just was standing there, like, and, and it was like, she had the little laser pointer thing, because it was a gun in the first one, wasn't it? It was like a full-on gun they used yeah. to shoot to shoot that this time it's like a laser pointer where you'd be taking someone through a powerpoint and there was one point <laughs> like, you're, where, like you're trying to distract a cat <laughs> yes there was one point where she sort of had it behind her back and she kind of put the laser pointer behind her head and and tried to craftily fire it at somebody 
and uh, and then the raptors started chasing them so yeah that was that was stupid but th- so jurassic world right dinosaurs big scary prehistoric beasts with teeth and claws that can run and you know destroy humanity what yep, do you yep, think that, that sounds about right yep. what do you think the scariest thing that they built up in this movie was uh sam neil yes yes that's right mark locusts the scariest thing in this oh, movie right. Boom. Got is it. fucking locusts right which well you know the, the the plagues did you hear anything about dinosaurs in that no well, we heard i mean locusts. it is the most ham-fisted metaphor for this is what happens when you play god with the genomes ah, of ancient right. beasts you get a plague okay. of locusts so the bad guy in this movie who's like a really shit take on elliot carter from tomorrow never dies if anyone's ever seen that shit great film yeah uh he he decides that so instead of doing something cool with all of the dinosaurs you know like using them as weapons and trying to you know take over nation states or something a genuinely evil guy would do he's just a boring capitalist who decides that he's going to create these genetically modified locusts which are going to eat crops that don't come from biosyn seed and that is the backstory of this movie now start off the movie like three or four minutes with this really cool montage of dinosaurs are among us and they show dinosaurs in all of these different environments there's like pterodactyls living at the top of the freedom tower in new york and flying their way around and you see people like running around and like being chased by brontosauruses and there's like a little girl on the beach running away from like loads of compies and i'm just like this is such a cool thing do they actually at any stage capitalize on the dinosaurs are living in the wild thing no do you know what they do locusts are the scariest thing in this movie and it's so dumb i don't care that locusts are eating the crops i don't care that they're gonna wipe out the planet i don't care and then you know dinosaurs are living in the wild you heard that right they're in the wild and then what do they do for the part of the movie where they have to have the humans among the dinosaurs they take them to another conservation center that they've just made in the mountains somewhere where all the dinosaurs are we just saw that they were in the wild and running around you know there's a moment at the start of the movie where chris pratt is trying to like corral a dinosaur he's like a dinosaur cowboy essentially so i would see the movie chris pratt dinosaur cowboy because it would be Ten times. Isn't it like in the first one, he's basically the dinosaur whisperer? Yeah, but now he's a dinosaur cowboy, Mark. Ah, so he's evolved these characters to that. Yeah, and then there are these evil poacher cowboys so there's like two different cowboys and they both dress in plaid and just essentially look like cowboys and ride horses and stuff so i i need to ask you then right so because my don't um, ask me it's stupid well, i'm going to because my understanding of the jurassic park universe timeline is skewed at best right and i i haven't seen any of the original I, jurassic park films outside of the original and i, I only see I, jurassic I will park. say the jurassic park timeline to even the people making those films at this stage is fucked it's, it's basically like asking the link to the past timeline like the, the zelda timeline just, <laughs> yeah except know, a, a not good zelda. version <laughs> yeah um so like you've got the original tr- was it the original trilogy right they did three yeah, yeah, to begin with. Yeah. And then we have this trilogy now. Yeah. Is it like those first three films happened and then at some point in the future Jurassic World happened? Or yes. was it Jurassic World a soft reboot? Yes. 
that is exactly what it was they exist which one is the it the, the first one where okay, the first right. three movies happen and then the next three movies happen right 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 yeah what actually happens at the end of like the, the this might be trying to ask you to do the impossible here to remember the end of like the third of those films but like what was kind of the end point of those that then led to the impetus to start this new trilogy other than you know a big stack of money yeah, a, a a big stack of money, really, because right, okay. the, the third movie, again, all the, the first three movies are largely isolated to two islands. Isla Nubar um, is one of them. I think Isla Soma is the other one. I thought the dinosaurs escaped onto like, the mainland in the second or the third one. In the second movie, they did a little bit, but then they go back, but that was kind of contained. They never got to the full dinosaurs are living in the wild stage. Because uh, I just, I remember the one thing with like the T-Rex outside the window with the girl or the little boy. I can't remember which is Ali. Um, but that is as much of a frame of reference as I have for that. So I just always presumed they actually went out into the wild, which is why I was wondering, like, are we just kind of rehashing the same, like, territory here? But I guess I guess this is at least a little bit more... Is territory spelt P-T, <laughs> like pterodactyl? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's... it. Yeah, it, it's stupid. It, the movie is dumb. The plot doesn't really make any sense, but they save the day anyway. The main chemistry in the movie is between Sam Neill and Laura Dern, who are both still so incredibly likable as characters and as just genuine good actors. The cam- the chemistry between... Now, I like Bryce Dallas Howard as much as the next fan of Bryce Dallas Howard, and I enjoy Chris Pratt's on-screen stuff that he does anyway. Uh, I don't care about any of that other stuff away from the screen, but them two really don't have a lot of chemistry in this movie. And it is depressing. I, I just think Chris Pratt action hero uh, is just not a relationship that works. No, Chris I, Pratt Saki falling backwards into managing to save the day like he is with Star Lord suits him down to the ground. I was just gonna say, is there any like big screen major role he's had outside of Star Lord where he's proper hit? Because the two big ones I can think of outside of that are these movies where he's just not good at all, and uh, Passengers, which was one of the worst movies I've seen in years um does do the lego movies count he was pretty good at those <laughs> as a voice well, uh, I, I guess, guess so. it's it's yeah but that's a different thing. and he's kind of the straight man in those isn't he yeah he's the main character right so yeah, yeah. everything kind of happens around him but uh, he's good in parks and rec isn't he you know yeah but but that's the thing he is great in parks and yeah. rec and it's he, just a case of him as like action hero straight man like buff uh that sort of shtick that he's going for in these films just whatever works about him in say like a Parks and Rec just it doesn't translate across here it it seems like he's very much going to be one of those guys who like he's very good in a very narrow and specific set of roles and anytime he goes outside that you're going to be like yeah like Mario remember what a giant piece of shit Passengers was it was so it was like the thing was so I said it was one of the worst movies I've seen in years it was more accurately it was one of the most boring movies I'd seen in years because like him him and J-Law so charismatic absolutely none of that made it into that movie no the only cool moment in that movie which spoiler alert but I mean if you're gonna watch Passengers don't uh, is is when you kind of see at the end what they did when they made all of the you know vegetation and overgrown on the space station that was quite cool 
but the oh, rest look, there was the there was like the core of a good idea for a movie in there yeah and the scene where you know the space station starts going haywire and she's in the pool and the pool flips and you get like the teardrop of pool that was pretty cool but yeah the rest of the movie was terrible anyway yeah. it also terrible was this movie and i'm so sad because i really like the jurassic park movies i actually thought the first reboot was pretty good um and really the only things about this that i liked were just bits and pieces that involved the old cast and just like little nostalgia hits to get you through it because the rest of the plot just was so piss poor and they feel like they've been building up this B.D. Wong uh, storyline the whole way, like Dr. Henry Wu about him and his genetic experiments. And he is at fault for the locust thing, yet they just forgive him at the end of the movie because they're like, oh no, he, he didn't mean it. Uh, and then they let him fix his own problem. This guy should be going to jail for the rest of his life for creating killer crop locust things. It is so stupid. And can we just can we just please get Daniela Pineda in some like good films now or some things that people actually seem to enjoy because bless her she deserves better. Can I can I like palate cleanse us before we move on to Mark's bit? Um, have you guys read the clip out of that interview with Miles Teller this week? No. no. Okay. So Miles Teller talking about his experience on Top Gun where he got very sick. Um, this is just like this is another I'd almost go back and add the remaining half star and make Top Gun Maverick five stars just for this anecdote okay <clears throat> so Teller wasn't feeling well on set and now we, we go into the interview here right I'm just like I'm not feeling too good uh, Teller explained to Myers and I was really hot and I just started itching like crazy so I get out of the jet and I'm just covered in hives like head to toe Teller was taken to a doctor and had a blood analysis taken. He then went home and took an oatmeal bath to reduce the hives. The next day, he got the results back from the blood test. My blood work comes back and I have flame retardant, pesticides and jet fuel in my blood. Jesus Christ. Thankfully, Teller recovered and was allowed to go back to work. He couldn't wait to tell Cruz, who is an actor knowing for incurring a fair share of injuries due to all the stunts he's done. I go to the set the next day and Tom's like, so how'd it go, Miles? What did they find? Teller recalled to Myers. I was like, well, Tom, it turns out I have jet fuel in my blood. And without even skipping a beat, Tom Cruise just goes, yeah, I was born with a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Tom Cruise so much. I know I probably shouldn't, but I do. Tom Cruise, definitely weirder than you, but also, just a reminder, much cooler than you. Tom yeah. Cruise is so cool. It's, it's, yeah. Damn it. Why does he have to like Scientology? I know. Do, do you know who I find weird and cool? Uh, Al- little Alex Horn. Little Alex Horn. Hey! hey. Excellent. Good job. Six, seven years later, we still, we're, we're in sync. Uh, so, have you two seen the last episode of season 13? No. Yes. I am I'm one week behind, so. Okay. All right. So, we won't give spoilers away. Don't go and uh, look at Ian's timeline if you don't want to be spoiled. On the I, whenever I don't want to have something spoiled I just don't talk to Ian because <laughs> God bless him I love Ian but when he gets excited he can't help it <laughs> and I end up having things spoiled on me uh, alright so I, I won't you know we won't divulge into the ending but I realise we haven't actually spoken about uh, season 13 at all <laughs> spoiler uh, is, alert Judy Love didn't win the whole series no, no she did not God bless yeah. her so uh, 
I, I just to kind of give like an overview, this is the first season back where uh, they had uh, an audience and, you know, kind of in a sort of post-COVID world, if you want now. And uh, I was really amped up for that because it was also the first season that I came into where I'd fully caught up with everything. And, you know, I was fully like up to board with the lot prior 12 seasons and I could, you know, watch in real time. Um, and for a start, I love the fact that they're, you know, once a week, it's not on a, a, a content dump, like a Netflix sort of thing. I do like having that one episode per week. It's just, it works for this format. Um, so I was really happy to have that. I was most curious by the fact that I really didn't have any reference for the contestants outside of obviously Arlo Hannon. Um, you know, I did. I I didn't even had her. I hadn't even heard of Bridget Christie or Sophie Duca or Chris Ramsey. And I I think I vaguely knew of Judy Love. But outside yeah, Ju- of that, Ju- Judy Love had been on the most recent Big Fat Quiz of the year, which is the main exposure I had had to her. Yeah, like outside of that, I knew nothing about them. And one of the big things about Taskmaster is obviously the tasks themselves, but it is the dynamic between the contestants in the studio, but then obviously how they approach the tasks as well. And I did find that like none of them really went too far out of the box in terms of finding, um, uh, you know, like, in unique ways to approach tasks other than when Bridget Christie just didn't understand what the task was yeah. and just lost a fucking mind. I, I would say that the two it. exceptions were, yeah, occasionally Bridget Christie just did her own thing and Ardlo Hanlon got weird a couple of times with his... He his- did, he did. Um, but I really did enjoy like the in the the studio banter much more than the last couple of seasons, and I don't know if it's just the chemistry or it's the fact that there was an audience back. But you got like a lot of kind of good stuff. Arlo Hanlon would have like his occasional like da joke, but it kind of fit. And there was like a a, a dynamic between him and Juker in particular that I really enjoyed. And uh, like overall, I I think this this is a really strong season, and uh, I. I found the COVID seasons a bit of a struggle to get through. Certainly the first season with the like first Vegas. One, yeah. I didn't really enjoy that, but I, they, they got better and I did yeah. enjoy last season though. Was that the one with Catherine Parkinson on it as well? Uh, yes. So yeah. the best part of that whole season was the outtake bit about how they caught someone farting during one of the tasks and it turned out to be Catherine Parkinson. Have you seen this clip? I have not seen that clip now. It's incredible. It's do you know the do you know the one they did the task they did where they're in the warehouse and they have to find the different numbered lockers. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a clip of Catherine Parkinson getting scared, and then you just hear like a real squeaker of a fart come oh. out, and she's just like because she was swearing up and down it wasn't her that because Greg was like one of you, um, <laughs> and then when it was her, she's like no 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 no. It was very good. <laughs> Um, but Which yeah, no, isn't I, even the funniest Taskmaster incident involving the fart. No, no, that, oh, that no, honor goes no, to Mike Jesus. Wozniak. Uh, it's an he gave absolute us, casserole yes. down there. Yeah, which has become a phrase I have integrated into life. It's where so I can funny. possibly... Um, yeah, I Mike don't Wozniak. know what's funnier. Is it's that phrase or shouting at a stuffed animal that it has no chutzpah. It's just a glorious line but yeah this I, like you were saying Mark about the chemistry I think it seemed like five people who genuinely enjoyed each other's company this time around there was like a, a real diversity of personalities I think and, and probably comedic styles and like a, a, a definite like broad age range of, of all the people on the show but yeah. 
they just always seemed to be rooting for each other. There was no weirdness and arguments. There was no Ian Sterling like beef. Just you know, there was no negativity. No one seemed to get uh, pissed off. Well, I mean, like Chris Ramsey is the most positive man I've seen on television in quite some time. And no we <laughs> a combination of that and like Judy loves like. Insistent, Judy, just, love. just her like bullshitting abilities, which are on another level. Right? <laughs> uh, it just you could see Chris just like just in, fully engaged the whole time, and yeah, um, yeah, you, you really kind of on the point there about just they were sort of all encouraging each other. Yeah. Um, I, I love yeah, that the first thing Greg did, the very first prize task, the very first episode of this series, like Judy finished her spiel about whatever I am was. I can't actually remember. Um, and he just turned to Alex and he's like, write this down. Judy Love, exceptional bullshitter. <laughs> and her yeah. face just turned because she was like, oh, I'm not getting away with any of this stuff with Greg. Yeah. But she carried on anyway. Um, I, I think that like during the... I, there's very few people who have been on Taskmaster that I've got the impression, oh, they absolutely don't want to be here. Um, I think during the pandemic seasons, what I got more of what wasn't, we don't want to be here, more that we're disappointed we're here now while things yeah. aren't the way they could be. Uh, the only person I used to get vibes off of that, like, I don't think they're enjoying themselves here is somebody who actually ended up winning a season in the end in Lisa Tarabuck. Yeah. Yeah, she really... I mean, her ability to just completely give up on a task. Yeah. <laughs> she, seemed to, she seemed to enjoy and get along with Greg, personally. And if it was just like a Greg interviewing her show, she would have enjoyed it. But like, yeah, like I said, when she was doing the task, she was kind of like, ah, oh, nah, fuck, fuck this. And yet still won. Yeah. That, that, that season could get a bit rough. But then but, it, they yeah. rebound. Like, we actually started watching um, season seven just because, like, Maria's oh. massively into James Acaster at the moment. Oh, oh my God. And... Uh, He's, see, just, see, he's on another level without season, season 7 might be in the conversation for the greatest season of Taskmaster two, yeah. two of the greatest like interpersonal uh, like I don't know if you want to call them beefs uh, but uh, James Ancaster and Rod Gilbert interacting Rod was Gilbert. <laughs> like <laughs> tremendous and similarly then in season 9 um, Ed Gamble and David Baddiel yeah hard, yeah <laughs> Like culminating in that gamble just chose violence. Culminating in that uh, draw on someone's back live task where Ed was just screaming at him. Um, But I am Uh, my my, my explanation in that section of like Greg just going, look, the other team have three people to pass a message across, and to even it out, we've given you David Badil, and his face (laughs) was still unhappy. I am. I am looking forward to, so season 13 was great. I'm looking forward to something that we were denied during the pandemic because of timing. Next week on Channel 4, we're getting our second Tournament of Champions episode, um, which is going to feature uh, Ed Gamble is returning, Lou Sanders is returning, uh, Kerry Godleyman, bosh, is back. I love Kerry Uh, Godleyman so much. I think Kerry Godleyman actually is one of my favourite contestants ever. She's so bosh, isn't it? It yeah, but I I just love that everything she did was the most root one way of solving the task, and she ran away with the series. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because the series before her 
Right, Did was, I say Lou Sanders is back as well? I love Lou yeah, Sanders. Yeah, yeah. She was my least favourite winner of this show by a considerable distance. Really? Um, I yeah. love Lou Sanders. No, I yeah, I just found it. I think I just found everyone on that season by the end of it kind of annoying and I just wanted so, it to be over. Also, somebody who won the first pandemic season who I love, but obviously it was pandemic season, so he wasn't as good as he could have been. Richard Herring is going to be back. So Herring is Richard class, Herring. yeah. Yeah. Um, um, we're, we're, we're both, are, are, are we both, I can't remember if I got you into it in the end, Jack, but are we both big fans of Rahalestapa? Yeah. It, yeah. It's very the Richard good. Herring Leicester Square the, Theatre podcast. <laughs> I have the, uh, I have his book as well. Uh, oh, yeah, we, yeah. We've you covered did that on the podcast. A, a bit, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Mark, uh, if you were to ever try out the Richard Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast listen to the two episodes with Greg Davies on them they'll get you in um, that seems that seems a reasonable request I would like to think that the amount of just unashamed lobbying he did in the the Greg episodes and when he had Alex on as well is what got him on the show it's like both yeah. times he had them both yeah. on and he's just like haven't had me on the fucking show yet lads <laughs> That's great. <laughs> have you, Jack, seen the movie Hustle? It's got Adam Sandler in it, hasn't yes. it? Yes. I have seen so, and he's a is it a basketball coach? Yes. This is on my list of things I want so, to watch. This is this will immediately put you off when I say that it's part of the Adam Sandler overall deal of Netflix. Because those movies have been real bad. Um Yeah, but, but also <laughs> Uncut Gems went straight on there and yes. that was really good. Well, this is the thing is like, it's pretty much exclusively now. If he makes a comedy, it's dreadful. And now he, when he makes serious movies, it's good. And this is one where you can tell <clears throat> he has put a lot of passion to this because it is about basketball. If you know anything about Adam Sandler, he is a basketball nut. And this movie is executive produced by him and LeBron James. Wow. And it's about uh, Adam Sandler's character, uh, Double Deuce, as he goes by in it, uh, Stanley Sugarman. Um, He is a basketball scout for the 76ers. And it's about how he's kind of like when you come into the movie, he's at the end of his tether because he's missed like his daughter's last eight birthdays because he's scouting all around the world. You know, they show him scouting in Asia, in Eastern Europe, in Spain, places like that. And just he's always on planes. He's always in hotels. Uh, He has mostly an over the phone relationship with his wife, who's played by Queen Latifah, um, who is very good in this as well. And he kind of comes back and he's saying that he, you know, he really wants to be in a different role. And the owner of the club, or the owner of the club, the owner of the team of the Sixers is played by Robert Duvall, who is kind of saying he loves Stanley. He's the one who put him in the job. He's the one that's protected him because he's like, he's very much a... Uh, tells it like it is sort of scout he's not somebody who relies on you know the data driven element of the game as much as kind of you know I go and I get a I I get an impression of what the guy is like in person and I know his character and stuff like that kind of old school scout you know um and Robert Duvall says, no, you're going to be assistant coach now and you can stay home and you'll be on the bench. And, you know, it's a big privilege for stuff like that. But then, unfortunately, Robert Duvall's character dies, leaving his son, Vince, played by Ben Foster, uh, in charge. And Ben Foster wants him back out scouting because he he doesn't really like him, but he does think he's more value as a scout. The whole arc of the movie is then 
Adam Sandler finding this guy. This is all information that's in the trailer, by the way, so I'm not, like, giving the whole film away. Um, he all the finds, information's on the task, Dave. Yeah, yeah. He finds this one guy in um, Spain who is, like, 22 years old and he's a fucking prodigy like he's a you know uh, a guy who doesn't play any professional ball doesn't play in any amateur circus like he literally finds him just on a random basketball court in Spain Uh, and it's all about him trying to get this guy to the NBA one because like he wants to prove his worth and so that he can come back and be the assistant coach if he finds this final piece and wins uh, the Sixers an NBA title and secondly as well um, it's he kind of finds himself like he's promised this kid he's 22 years old he's promised him that he's going to get him there and he feels that kind of personal obligation to bring this guy to nurture him and to coach him so it's really good and you know Jack you and I have often mused about how like sports movies are just fucking great man like it's hard not to it's hard to have um a serious sports movie with a narrative like that that isn't at least a bit watchable and i think this is right i think Mm -hmm. i gave this uh, or if i haven't rated already it's around the three and a half to four star range like it's really it's not like it's not like fucking Creed where the two of us saw Creed and we were like, fucking hell, what a great sports movie or anything like that. But this is surprisingly good. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised by this. And I think in particular, Jack, you will really like it. And there's also a lot of actual basketball people playing either themselves or other characters in it. So, like, I recognized a few of them from back in the day. Um... But if you are like a current day basketball fan, I imagine a lot of the cameos um, are going to pop you big time. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Hustle. Here I am in 2022 recommending an Adam Sandler movie. Go figure. Yeah, um, but Uncut Gems was just, was it last year or 2020? Last year. Last yeah, year, I think. And it was fantastic. So I, I would recommend that Adam Sandler movie as well. But yeah, I, yeah. I saw this and I thought this looked like my jam, but I haven't watched it yet. I, it, it's one of those films I want to sit down and just actually yeah. watch it. It's actually quite short as well. I think it's less than two hours. That's music to my ears. Yeah. Jurassic so, World was like two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Jack, I, I would say watch this soon. This is like extremely your shit. Extremely your shit. I thought the same when I, yeah. when I saw it advertised. Okay, let's move over to video games. Uh, and I'm going to start because mine's probably the quickest. Um, I got back with, uh, got back into in a big way, thanks to people in work who had never heard of this game. Keep talking and nobody explodes. Which I think is one mark very early days of Link to the Cast. This was a game we championed. Ah, do we not? <laughs> I remember. It fucking showed on the mic that it had gone on. Uh, I remember us talking about this, yes, very early on. And uh, uh, a great kind of party piece to have around the house. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's basically a party game, but a party game that's going to result in very strained friendships, where the the actual mechanic of the game is you are diffusing bombs. Um, you kind of have a, a suitcase bomb, and each side has up to six modules on it, so for a maximum of, I think, 11 modules, because one always has to be the timer for how long you have left. Um, and these... 
each module consists of a different kind of puzzle. There are ones with kind of coloured wires. There are ones with more complicated wires. There's like a Simon Says puzzle, which is like one of those things, you know, that were big deals for, for kids where it's like it it lights up the colours you're supposed to hit. So there's a Simon Says, there's like a Morse code module, there's a bunch of different things. And the idea is like, say it was uh, the three of us and Garrett were playing it. What you have to do for Keep Talking Nobody Explodes is you split into two teams. So the first team can see the bomb on the screen, but cannot see the manual explaining how to defuse the bomb and then you physically print out the bomb defusal manual i think it's at like it, there's a they link it at the opening screen of the game if you don't have it before um you print out the thing and the other half of the team can see the manual but they can't see the bomb so the idea is you keep talking and nobody explodes because you need to communicate back and forth the people with the bomb need to explain what they see and the people with the manual need to first find which page the type of puzzle is on and then follow a specific and complex set of instructions to diffuse each module at a time um it's such a fun game it's such a challenging game and it's really good for there's a theory in kind of like so i've been using it as a group work tool like it's it's good just as a you know a video game to enjoy on a party night because people end up shouting at each other it's very funny but as like a group work tool because there's a theory in kind of like fostering a group dynamic that when you start a group of young people or you know adults working together that you need to get through a phase of conflict where they kind of they don't really know each other that well they haven't worked with each other that well and they need to butt heads on the way they're different so that the group can then settle down into the established roles that that kind of suit everyone's strengths um and this is like the perfect game for that because it's video gamey enough that they that people want to do it but it's also if you're not communicating and listening to other people it gets incredibly stressful and you blow up um is it the same people that did jackbox i don't think so but i i will look it up did we ever play it mark together I don't know, because I know that... Uh, I feel like maybe we did once, because I'm sure on one of our uh, gatherings around your house, because I know we play plenty of Jackbox. Yeah, um, you see, it I, came out in 2015, so I'm trying to remember, had we already gotten too frustrated to play it by the time you moved over, or was it something I discovered later? Um, no, I, I feel like we... I, I feel like we played it at least once, hmm. um, or something similar to it. Yeah. Oh, so this is by Steel Crate Games. Not one uh, of this one. Instead of Jackbox Games, so they're okay. from Ottawa, and according to their Twitter, the, the basically the 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 thing, the only thing that's pimped on their Twitter is keep talking. Um. So this may be their kind of one and done. I don't know. Um. But yeah, it's it work for them. When we're talking about look, it in 2022. Yeah, it's really fucking great. And the thing they do as well is so that you don't get too familiar with the bomb manual, they change up which version is being used. So when you log on to it with Steam, it will tell you this is the current version of the manual. Um, so go download yeah. that one. So that's cool because people who are that's really cool. good at yeah. memory games and things like that will like one of the the people I have I, I, I did it with they don't have like a proper iodatic memory, but it's not too far off. So 
once he had played maybe half a dozen games of it, he just had it down pat. So it's good that they they yeah. change it up every now and then for people like that. And um, I, I've played I've played so much Fibbage on a Jackbox Two, I think it is that yeah. like I, I I at least register a, a fair few of the questions now when they come up. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Um. Next up, uh, shall we go with you, Jackathy? Ah. Uh. Yes, we shall. Um, yeah. So, I read uh, a review for a game called Please Fix the Road and decided that it sounded very much like something that I would really enjoy. So, I used a facility on my Mac to be able to play Windows things and I, I downloaded Please Fix the Road. And Is this PC only then? It is PC only and okay. I really liked it. It was a really fun game. So the the point of the game is essentially you have... It's a puzzle game where you get like a diorama-style scenario. You have uh, a goal and you have a start point and you need to essentially rearrange things in the environment with, with tiles that you're given to make a path for your vehicle or chosen thing to get from one end of the screen to the other so it starts off very simple but then and just will give you different like segments of road to join together to get a car to go from a to b but then it complicates more and more you get given bomb uh, tiles where you can destroy parts of the environment and then are replaced by other bits and pieces that you can build back in and it gives you everything that you need in the order that you need to use them which i find very handy but it doesn't really give you many more hints than that and at the start of the game it, it sort of gradually builds your confidence in understanding the mechanics and the feel of the environment but then it starts whipping more and more complexity at you to the point where maybe when you're about 20 or 25 in you have to really start thinking about the order that you do things in and the way that you lay things out um, and there's not always just one vehicle or, or thing that you have to get from one side some of them had two one of them had four which took me a good half an hour just looking at it, how i had to path out the roads to get the cars to go to their various points multicolored cars but um it's just a really fun game that you could play for like 15 20 minutes or like me you could get completely invested in for a couple of hours just trying to play through it and yeah there's not an awful lot to it it has elements of mini motorways and elements of um mini metro to it it has elements i think of roller coaster tycoon um and elements of like your standard a to b pathing you know puzzle game you know or if you're the sort of person who like the old school get the hamburger from one side of the maze to the other on the back of your uh, happy meal when you were a kid i think this that game will scratch this game will scratch that itch as well i love it the po low poly uh, aesthetic of it um, I know it's been done in many places, but this is a this is a really nice presentation of that. It's very yeah. Cool. I'm a real sucker for a diorama style game. Definitely, yeah. Um, the only thing that I guess I was a little so the only downside to me is you can't twist the environment. Say I, I kept thinking that I could twist the environment because it, it as a state has that roller coaster tycoon feel of like here's a chunk of of a, a scenario. Um, that you can then rotate and twist and blah blah blah, but you can't do that. It just you just have that one view, which seems really weird because usually when you're you have something at a fixed angle, it's generally because you're just trying to hide whatever is behind it to you know cut corners on 
like assets and keep poly poly counts down and stuff but this isn't exactly like an intense game in terms of the, the amount of assets on the screen so it does seem kind of like weird to, and I, I don't see where you would gain any kind of benefit from being able to even if it was to turn the landscape round or just to have the camera kind of like a fixed point but goes around in a circle like but focused on the the environment that does seem kind of like a a, a weird mission yeah it, it's a sort of a weird itch that you want to do it a lot when you first play the game to, to give yourself a different view but then after a while you come to accept that you don't really need to because the the, the way the pieces are given to you that they're they're not given in a flippable format they're given to you like this is the piece so if you have like a curved piece of road or, or a straight piece of road or whatever they're at the angle that they need to be for you to place them you just need to figure out how to get that placement correct so you can yeah. do it in the moves that you're given so i think once you get your head around the fact that you can't change your perspective on your environment it just clicks for you anyway um and you just become used to this is the view that i get therefore i need to solve the puzzle in this fashion mm. and yeah it's a very it's a very pleasant experience uh it's exactly the sort of thing that i needed to play after playing a lot of assassin's creed games um it's not at all grindy or or, or particularly um you know particularly labor intensive but it does require a lot of strategic and logical thought and there's something just ridiculously satisfying in pathing something out efficiently to complete a task you know it's the it's the wilmot's warehouse itch scratch as well to, to compare it to a game that i know dave really likes as well where just everything in its right place um exactly the way you would want it type of game so yeah i, I this is a big recommend from me I, I would say um for, for the both of you because i think you both get something out of it and you both really enjoy it how no um, how challenging how challenging are you finding it in some of the later puzzles and is it the kind of puzzle game where if you try and brute force it you can or does it do anything in place to make you less likely to try and brute force it and actually try and apply logic and reason and whatnot yeah, you can't really brute force it. So like I say, it paths out the order that you need to use the pieces. So to solve the puzzle, there is pretty much usually just one way of doing it. Even if you're even slightly, you know, twist the way that you would do it in terms of, okay, if, if I, I have my turn here or I have my straight here, but either way they will lead to the same conclusion basically. So you can't really brute force the game. You do have to figure it out. You do have to think about it logically and um i i kind of appreciated that because it it makes you aware that it's not your standard sort of building sim it is a puzzle game despite it appearing that way um so yeah i it, it just it works it's one of those games that just has a very specific a very specific method and aesthetic and it delivers them both very very well it it reminded me a little bit of unpacking in the sense that I was enjoying doing all of the tasks and there was a very, very pleasant soundtrack. That's the only thing that I haven't mentioned so far is that even though I usually, it is very much a podcast game like you can flip on a podcast, I would recommend leaving on this sort of really so soft touch, jazzy, um, 
orchestral soundtrack in the background because it's incredibly soothing not in a like annoying hold music way but just in a sort of nice you're out in a slightly fancy club or restaurant way and there's just a nice little smattering of some 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 pleasant music in the background to, to give a bit of atmosphere to it uh yeah just just a very good one of those you know your sort of standard eight out of ten four four stars out of five game um and it executes very well can never go wrong with one of those exactly mm. uh mark have you cleared another 40, 50 games this week? <laughs> uh, I, I have, but in fairness, most of those uh, we, we don't really need to go into because I don't want to spend another 10 minutes talking about Mega Man 4 and 5 or whatever. Um, my my dive into Retro Corner this week, though, is... Uh, so, have either of you heard of a game called Snatcher? No. No. Right, so this is going to be interesting for both of you then. So, Snatcher is a game that was originally released in Japan in 1988 uh, and bounced around on the MSX2 and the the, um, the Turbo Graphics uh, in Japan until it finally got a Western release in 1994 for the uh, Sega CD, the much ill-fated and celebrated Sega CD. Um, it Wait, who is- celebrates it? Uh, well, M- I'll, mostly Mark. <laughs> I'll, I'll get I'll get to this. I'll get to this in a bit. Um, the story is uh, about a guy called Gillian Seed, who is a, a junker uh, who's part of this task force that are uh, assigned to capture and destroy what are called snatchers, which are it's kind of this like invasion of the body snatchers thing, where they're these robotic creatures that will um, murder like high status citizens in this um kind of like fictionalized version of kobe city in japan and it's like a post-apocalyptic world um and they then sort of like assume the role of these people and like there's this kind of ongoing crisis of these uh creatures in society that are you know taking these high positions of power so you're assigned as part of this task force to try and deal with them um the interesting thing about this game for you two is that this was directed by Hideo Kojima. Hello. His game really, you know, obviously before Metal Gear Solid, which came in, I want to say, 98, I think, was when Metal Gear Solid was. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've always been interested in this game, and I've always been interested in, in Kojima from uh, sort of an arm's distance, an arm's length. Like, I appreciate what he does. I don't necessarily actually enjoy playing his games, but... Snatcher is one of those games that has constantly appears in uh, like, you know, like biggest kind of best cult classic type games, games made by developers that you might not be aware of, games that are, you know, most in need of a remaster or uh, a port to make them available to more players because... You know, for Western players, the only means of playing this is obviously either having a Japanese uh, uh, version of this game, and this game is a very, like, narrative text-heavy game, so you're not going to get much out of it, or having your hands on a Sega CD, which is about four people. So, I obviously played this through um, other means, and we'll leave it at that, Uh, Mm. but it was a game that I'd been really interested in and wanted to kind of play, and it is... So, you know, people talk about how Kojima introduced this idea of, you know, film and cinematography to the video game space with Metal Gear Solid. And I will, you know, I'll give the man credit. That motherfucker was doing that some 10 years earlier uh, with what this game is doing. Obviously, not in terms of, uh, you know, the way like the camera set up and um, that kind of stuff, but... So 
certainly for like the 94 Western release, it's got full voice acting, uh, which is, it's, it's pretty decent. It's a bit clunky in places, but it's still like fairly decent. It has this full involved storyline, which in fairness is one part Akira, one part Invasion of the Body Snatchers, one part The Terminator, and about 12 parts Blade Runner. It's, it's, Obviously, Kojima is someone who always has not exactly been subtle about where his influences come from. Where's them on his sleeve, I think, is a generous way of putting it. What's that? Where's them on his sleeve is a generous way of putting it. Uh, tattooed on his sleeve would yeah. be a generous way of putting it. <laughs> so the, the Did you guys, of- sorry to jump in, Mark, did you guys see that picture of him with Michael Bay this week? <laughs> yeah. Of course I did, yes. <laughs> That's a man who enjoys, you know, his, his Western cinema. But the Blade Runner influence is, you know, more extreme than anything. You know, the opening, like, intro credits sequence is is like a one-for-one replication of that intro introduction in Blade Runner where the camera is going over the city. You've got the flames coming out. You've got the giant, like, pyramid-type structures. All of that is in there, but it's done in this kind of glorious 32-bit uh, form, or 16-bit, I guess. Um, and it looks amazing, and it's got this incredible, like, jazz noir soundtrack playing over it. And immediately, it's like, okay, you know, Kojima does certain things well, and in terms of setting a tone and a theme and a style, that motherfucker knows what he's doing, and I will give mm-hmm. him that. Yep. The problem problems that I have with this game, and there are many, um, it's so it's a very like narrative driven game. Uh, you're working your way through menus, like you. It's kind of like a semi open world where you can go between different areas, and then once you're in the area, you can do certain things. You can look at certain items, you can investigate certain items, you can talk to people if they're there, you can present them items if you're holding them, and it's basically you know like a point and click sort of thing where you're just trying to find the MacGuffin that you need to progress the story along, but. Because it's all done through the menus, and the menu system is very, very clunky, where there might be, like, a hidden thing that I haven't discovered yet in the room. So I'll go to look, and then I'll go to, like, draw, and then the next thing it will say, you have found whatever thing. Then it, like, gives you that as a new thing that you can select, but it takes you back to the start of the menu, so you don't have to go to look, then draw, then whatever the new thing is. And you might not even be aware that you have found like new things. So there's a lot of navigating the menu in a way that I'm sure someone in 2022 uh, would look at that and just go, nah, fuck this. We can do a much more streamlined version of that. And that absolutely could happen. And it would make the experience of all of like navigating the menu system just that much more of an enjoyable process because it, it just does get a bit fiddly at points. The writing is problematic at points so like gilliam his character uh he has amnesia and him and his wife they're married but they don't know why they're married because they both have amnesia so you know they decide to like they're separated but they still kind of keep in contact with each other and they sort of establish this really early on but literally like the first and and you can tell that he's conflicted about this and he still has feelings towards her and he's not he doesn't really want to do that, but he kind of just, they feel like that's for the best for the moment. Literally the first fucking character that you meet is this female receptionist. And it gives you options to like compliment her and ask her out on a date. And all these kind of ways that are just like, they don't add anything to the, the plot or the context or of his character or the relationship of their character, because it's not like you can say one of these creepy things and then that becomes like a talking point later on. It's just there because, uh, you know, I don't know, 
Kojima thought it would be funny to put in. And it's really outdated and uh, really kind of just shows itself for like the period of time of when this was written. Um, and one of those things where you can clearly see like, okay, there wasn't a woman working on this game, certainly in the writing aspects of it, because this just wouldn't, you know, fly in 2022. And it shouldn't. It just it just doesn't need to be there. Um, that's, yeah, and that's really the two main issues, but they take up a large kind of amount of the game because, again, it is very kind of text-driven. But, like, some of the the uh, sequences, like the visual, um, the, the art style, some of the imagery that's used... It's, it's a badass looking game. It's, it's pretty fucking rad um, with just the way it looks and sounds and it captures that cyberpunk aesthetic in a way that like games that actually have the term cyberpunk in them don't sometimes. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, I'd imagine that you both have the kind of capabilities to play this on, on your Retroid. So I, I would imagine so. Yeah, a uh, retro that I built myself. Yeah, uh-huh. I know, right? So it's about six to seven hours long. There are a couple of times I had to just go and look at a video clip because I could not figure out what like it wanted me to do in a certain sequence. And I was going back and forth through a couple of rooms and just not getting anywhere. Um, but like the story is engaging enough that um, I saw it through, and you know I was fairly satisfied with it. So definitely like a flawed but super interesting game from. Uh, someone who you could clearly tell was going to go and do massive things. Yeah. Um, someone from themselves like, who yeah. is, it, uh, he is flawed and interesting himself. Yeah, yeah. And, th- you know, there's even little nods. Like, you have a, a robotic companion with you that's called Metal Gear. Um, there's an app, there's a, 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 like an entertainment area that you go to called Outer Heaven. Like, there's loads of these little nods that would be used in, in, in Metal Gear. So... It's cool. I'd really recommend checking it out, even for the first kind of hour or so, hour or so, just to get a flavor of it. Are, are there any nano machines? Uh, there, there is no mention of nano machines. No, uh, oh, that's that was the one thing that sadly has is a mission. But like the the snatchers themselves, basically look like T T eight hundreds or T one hundred. I can't remember which whatever the the model is in Terminator. But like they which 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 model are you thinking of? I'm thinking OG, like... T-800, uh, isn't it? T-800, yeah. Yeah, Uh, T-1000 is the liquid metal Terminator. Uh, But it's like... It's to the point point that you are kind of surprised that there wasn't some sort of copyright infringement. Like, Mm. it's a a, a one-to-one. It really is. Do you think Liquid Snake is called Liquid Snake because of the Liquid Terminator from T-2? It wouldn't surprise me. That just dawned on me when you said that, Dave. It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, so n- next, because um, I've got I got two things I'll very quickly talk about here. They'll only take a couple of minutes. Uh, one, uh, Point P is the new game from the developer, the creator of Downwell, um, which is a game that I championed a couple of years ago. Super underrated, available on everything. It's on Netflix. Um, it's one of the, it's the first time that I've used the Netflix app to play a game on that service. And it's basically like um, an inverse version of Downwell, where instead of going down, you're now going up. Uh, and it uses like a very kind of tried genius. And I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? And it it uses that sort of tried and tested uh, mechanic that you'd have seen in like a doodle jump or something of like you drag, you hold down, and then you kind of ricochet up. Uh, and it's kind of super cute, super colorful. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, you're kind of terrible for a while, but each time you play it, you gain some of like the in-game economy to help you get power-ups and extra jumps and whatnot. 
And uh, if you've got Netflix, like there's no reason to not download this and, and kind of play around with it because I think it has a, a real nice charm to it. Mm-hmm. So I'd, uh, I'd recommend that. And then I played a whole bunch of Mario Strikers this week. And uh, maybe it's something that we'll talk about more next week when everyone's had a chance to play it some more. And I know Garrett's been playing it as well. But I think the thing that is interesting about Strikers is that of like the three Switch Nintendo sports titles, it is the one that has the least amount of content, but it is the one that has nailed down successfully what the core gameplay is meant to be yeah. and possibly because it's not fucked around with adding all these bells and whistles you just get this core experience that while admittedly yeah it does feel very streamlined and i'd never played either of the two other strikers titles but i went and played some of the gamecube strikers and there's not exactly a lot going on with that game there or even if you go back and play like mario tennis on the 64 outside of like you know the kind of competition the tournaments there's not there it's just kind of clean cut look this is what you get in just fucking go in go play some of it play it online and i think for what is there uh i think that it has a surprising amount of yeah. like depth to it when you kind of understand the mechanics yeah um and it's one of those games where i kind of at first i wasn't too fussed about like wanting to use items and like the super kick sort uh, mechanic but they actually become really c- crucial to use because like if you ta- one of the things I really like about this game actually is the fact that y- there's no like timeouts, there's no uh, penalties or free kicks or that kind of thing because that would really like it's not that type of game. You know, you want it's a four minute game, you want it kind of constant, you want the action going. So what they do instead is that a foul in strikers is that if you tackle someone who doesn't have the ball, a question box will appear onto the field that they only the opposing team can use that will have like an item in it, like a green shell or banana or whatever. And there are times where your opponent is getting towards the ball and has like an open shot on goal and they haven't quite got to the ball yet. And you have to kind of decide like, right, do I want to just fucking wipe them out with bows or whatever so they don't get the ball? But then the penalty is that they'll have a question box that they can use later on. And there's little bits like that during the game that can then come into effect later on where you're trying to take them out and they have a green shell that they'd stored because of the foul earlier on. And there's little bits and pieces like that that make the game have that kind of level of depth that you you don't really think about until you've played a few games and experienced those encounters. Mm. Yeah. So, look, <laughs> it's like your, your, your segments of the show I'm enjoying as being like a real eye-opener to me uh, of like one, like you know, you had um, Snatcher there of shit I've, I've never seen in the past. And then you've made me think about something from the present, point B, and then rounding it off with Mario Strikers, which I literally, I've literally just started playing. But what you said to me there is really intriguing because I felt like, you know, kind of like what you were alluding to there, Mark, that the other sports games, the golf and tennis tried to hide behind just, it wasn't even filling out with content because it was lots of repetitive content. But just in terms of, like, hours of things they made you do, they were trying to, like, disguise how boring the minute-to-minute gameplay was. I mean, like, that golf game, they added some bullshit mechanics on there that severely detracted from the experience. Yeah. If I start Jack, he won't stop, so I'm not going to let him start on this. And in tennis, tennis they didn't add bullshit mechanics so much as, uh, again, to set Jack off. They just wouldn't let you play tennis. Yeah. Like, like everything... Everything had weird rules to it. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so yeah. It, it's so good to hear that. Foot, like when, when the nuts and bolts minute to minute gameplay is distinctly more fun, I think it allows you to have a little bit less content. Like I'm hoping that some stuff. There's like a, a you know a, a roadmap of some stuff they're going to put into it later, but you know at least if I'm going to have some fun so, while I'm with it. I I was, I was listening on the the next lander podcast, and apparently like someone's data mind, there's there's ten additional character slots. Um, because one of the things I will say is that it does seem like it's a bit threadbare in terms of the characters, but each of the characters that they've got there, you know, Donkey Kong, very strong. What a surprise. Uh, Mario, all-rounder, Yoshi, uh, and Toad, quicker characters. Uh, Rosalina, completely OP, by the way. Like, you can fill out her ability to take sh- take shots, and she'll just ping, like, fucking R2 trick-style shots from any fucking part of the pitch. She's ridiculous. Mm. Um, yeah, they just, like, next level, they've been super consistent. They did Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon and Luigi's Mansion 3. They've had experience making games on the Switch now, and I just think that I just yeah this game just it pops. It's I've had a couple of like jitters here and there, uh, usually during online, but that's I guess because of the connection. But it looks super super nice. I like the presentation of stadiums. I like the way when you do a supercharged shot, it goes into this kind of sketchy cartoon style that looks super cool. Um, just yeah, everything that is here is is done really well. There are certain things they could add to it. Like, you know, this and Switch Sports both suffer from this way. It does feel like the content's lacking. And part of it probably comes down to this just, it shouldn't be 60 quid. It should be, you know, mm. like 40 seems like the reasonable price, but hey, this is Nintendo and idiots like me will still go and buy it at full price. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely am going to be kind of sticking around with it and playing it a bunch more. Um, and, you know, you can, you theoretically, you can have eight people playing this locally. Um, if you have eight separate Joy-Cons to use. So um, that would be like chaos. Chaos, yeah. Yeah. So it's cool. It's cool. Um, hey, let's move over into the news now. And I suppose the the biggest thing that's happened since we last spoke is that last weekend was effectively what's being called Key 3, Je- Jeff Keighley's version of E3. Um, the highlight of which, uh, in terms of news, was the Xbox and Bethesda Games Showcase, which we're going to run down here now. And, uh, gentlemen, there was a lot of games on this, so I, I think I'm just going to whip through the little article here from IGN that's kind of everything that's revealed and please uh, put in a slide tackle on me stop me if there's something I'm going to skip skip past that we all want to talk about but I, I think I know some of the ones we want to stop at anyway um, first one I've got here is Redfall which I, I don't know a lot about but it's saying a lot of cool boy words in here like telekinetic abilities and spectral elevators and shit like that this was the I bit of the I hate the tone of what this game is trying to do. It's doing a snarky yeah. tone and it can fuck off. This is the this is the part of the conference I missed. So I wasn't on, I wasn't here for the first like I think I arrived at the third game on this list. So I missed this and yeah, that 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 that's kind of disappointing to me because there's a lot of stuff here involving, uh, you know, your character has a dead eye ability like Red Dead, which is going to get Jack on board, an invisibility cloak, and something that I know definitely Jack is going to love, a spectral crow that you can fly at enemies. So it's like yeeting bats at people, basically. Um, but it it feels like maybe we've oh, as a society in the last like, God knows how many years, we've kind of overdosed on snark. 
Yeah, and we that. don't need a vampire game. We have vampire survivors now. That that's yeah. done us for twenty twenty two. Yep. Yeah. I, I've, overdosing on snark is why I mentioned to Garrett last week that I love Top Gun Maverick so much. Yeah. There's no snark. It's just a good movie. If you've mm. got a good concept for a game, just do it. Don't yeah. worry about having to be meta commentary on it. Just fucking execute your good concept and people will like it. Mm. Um. Next up, the Mark Robinson segment. It's Hollow Knight Silk Song. Finally, yourself a Niners rain dance <laughs> helped us. Crucially, the thing to point out about all of the games announced here is they'll all be theoretically available within the next 12 months, which means that Silk Song is coming within the next 12 months. Yeah, finally. You're getting yeah. a lot of the, between that and Cuphead, a lot of your, your dreams are coming true. And honestly, I don't even remember a thing about what they showed in the trailer because I was too... <laughs> bawling, crying with oh, joy. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, so the fact that this is day one Game Pass mm. uh, and in the next 12 months, you know, like I, they could have just served me a bowl of shit on the screen for the next hour and <laughs> I'd, have been, I'd have been content. Uh, next up, the the next game from Squanch Games, which are the, the Rick and Morty creators, the Justin Roiland-backed uh, studio. Uh, it's an FPS. It's got that kind of, like, it's a very Rick and Morty sensibility about it. It looks really weird. Strange guns involving, like, you shooting NPCs out of guns uh, that themselves are made out of NPCs. Uh, other tools that talk back to you. Um, the thing that I really noticed about this that that will that probably won't pop you two guys as much as it popped me is that two people who are doing voices in this games, in this game, are Rich Evans and Mike Staclasa from Red Letter Media, uh, which is a fucking weird one. That's like right up there with the Chapo Trap House guys doing the voices in the original run of Disco Elysium um, for a mm. weird crossover. Uh, but yeah, it looks Jack very much like if I don't you. Know how if I don't know how I feel about this one. If you, it seems like if you really like Rick and Morty, you'll be into this because it's very much like a Rick and Morty game, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I just do like Rick and Morty, but yeah. right. it's like a game they'd come up with on an episode of Interdimensional Cable, Jack, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's just Justin Roiland. It's just a f- strange, strange guy who's just all over the place. His brain just flips out weird non sequiturs, and this is exactly the sort of video game he would make. He's that kind of guy who, you know, happened to be involved in a super, super popular thing that he helped create, and, you know, it just hit the right sort of vibrations that normally someone like Justin Roiland would stay really underground and be like a weird comedian that everyone on the internet likes his stuff. But he's got shit loads of money now so he can make his own video games. He'd be like in another universe, he's like um, Tim and Eric where like they're still... Like Tim Heidecker has been in some... Like he's a recognisable face from things. Like he was in... um, us and a couple of other things but in terms of like his comedy I would still describe like Tim and Eric stuff as being as influential as it is to other comedians it's still relatively underground um because it's like an an adult swim uh phenomenon that people except like apart from a hardcore subset of people they don't talk about uh, and that's kind of where Justin Roiland would be in another universe I think yeah he's just a very strange comedian he just has a very odd approach to 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 constructing stories and and making people laugh that 
it just feels like the sort of alternative comedy nerds champion and he's just weirdly mainstream it, it's strange to me the popularity of rick and morty because it doesn't feel like a show that i would expect to have achieved the level of popularity that it has yet it has and that has catapulted Justin Roiland into the ability to just do whatever the fuck he wants. So mm. he can make his weird VR games. He can call his company Squanch Tendo and just go for it. Uh, next up, we have a big drop of Riot Games stuff coming to uh, to Xbox. Uh, League of Legends, League of Legends Wild Rift, Valorant, Legends of Runeterra, and Teamfight Tactics. Now... Uh, I think I can confidently say we probably don't in terms of like playing these games care much but I suppose the, the from the business side of things Mark it's pretty interesting this like huge drop of Riot Games stuff yeah I mean like financially this is this is massive um, and you know the, the amount of like legwork that's behind this to get all of this on there uh, for us, this obviously is not a podcast that has really ever spent any time talking about Riot Games. Um, but for those, you know, I imagine something like Valorant, uh, that's 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 massive that's coming to Game Pass. So, yeah, it's it's big. And I mean, I guess even Valorant might be something that I would probably check out just for, mm-hmm. for five minutes here and there. But, uh, yeah, not what I'm, I'm exactly not not the biggest kind of thing that was dropped that caught my eye. League of Legends is insanely popular. Like oh, the yeah. idea to me that it's the, the number one esports game seems really odd because whenever I've watched it, it doesn't seem like that compelling of a game to watch. To me, the number one esports game should be Rocket League and anyone mm. who says any different is a crazy person. Um, next up, we have, uh, I feel like this is what we should call Barry in for, uh, A Plague's Tale Requiem. Um, sequel to Innocence, um, which Barry was the high man on on Game of the Year when that came out, and I think was on all of our. God, I would have loved to have gotten to that list. Um, but yeah, I mean, it looks like more of that. So fans of the original are going to be happy. Um, then we've got Forza Motorsport, or as it was uh, noted online, ah, the boring one. Um, because I think we're, you know, our good friend of the show, Matt Niner, is a big motorsports guy. Uh, but us mostly uh, would be into the more Forza Horizon uh, of it all. Now, I will say, Jack, that the one thing I can say about this big motorsport reveal trailer is, as is often the case, you get really good uh, kind of demos of how powerful the architecture of a new generation of consoles is when you see a motorsports game on it like a Gran Turismo or a Forza Motorsport and even though I don't really want to play it that trailer looked damn good yeah I mean Forza is always just the jewel in the crown the apple of the eye of visual layouts they all look incredible the the environments and the cars just like right down to like a sort of waxy finish on the bonnet of a car gleaming the sort of thing that i would never really get particularly nerdy about in real life yet when i see it in forza it just pops me so Mm -hmm. yeah this thing looked incredible like next level like imagine this running at you know 60 fps or however many hertz on a on a really powerful tv um at that point you just the the lines between reality and the way things are just completely blurred i think with these forza games Mm. Um. Yeah, uh, Mark. I'm. I'm assuming you're not going to be. 
I mean, uh, I, I'm playing a bunch of Gran Turismo 7 at the yeah. moment, and uh, I'm having a pretty good time with that. So, uh, you know, if it's on Game Pass, then... Well, that's the thing. It's like, you, you wouldn't have spent <laughs> 80 quid on us. Why the fuck? Why the fuck not, like, pick yeah. it up and give it a spin and see what it's like? And certainly to compare to, to GT7. Uh, mm. But yeah, I mean, you know, again, it looks freaking beautiful. Mm. Uh, Forza 5, Forza Horizon looks ridiculous, even on the Series S. Yeah. So the only thing i got to worry about is if I can make the thing fit on my Series S. But I'll, I'll give mm. this a look. Um... Loads of new planes, gliders, helicopters coming to Flight Simulator. They're adding and, the Pelican from yeah. Halo, and yeah. I hope to God it controls the same. Yeah, I would find it very funny because that would set the Flight Simulator fans off something fierce because they love themselves an immersive, realistic flight experience. And yeah, that is not that does not gel with uh driving or flying things in Halo in my head. Uh, next up, guys, Overwatch 2, which, like, I was big into Overwatch for a little, little while, but I, I don't know, guys. Overwatch 2 just looks like Overwatch. Like, it, it, it doesn't look any different. It might as well have been Overwatch Season 2 to me. Yeah, you're asking the wrong person here. Yeah. <laughs> Jack, were you ever, did you ever dabble in Overwatch? No, um, I, I don't really have any interest in Overwatch, I must say. I that did dabble mean, with Overwatch. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's a bad game or anything. I just, no. It, it never really piqued my interest. Just uh, just not for us. Again, I tried it for the little while um, when it was fresh out the gate, and it was fine, but like it didn't hold my interest more than like three weeks, I think, maybe a month. Um, anyway, uh, next, Ara History Untold, which is like a Civ kind of game. Uh, Elder Scrolls Online, again, apart from our love of the Elder Scrolls woman from that one E3, that's not really for us. Um, Fallout 76 is getting uh, its latest expansion, The Pit, which is kind of like, uh, you know, Fallout in Pittsburgh. Um, and it's very funny that they call it The Pit to make it pittsburgh seem cool um next up something i think that is way more up our strasses and that's forza horizon 5 getting hot wheels dlc it looks pretty fucking rad mark doesn't it yeah uh seeing like they're, they're adding like the tracks as well and the winding paths but i guess you know the, the paths and the tracks and stuff I, we've kind of had that thing in say like grand uh grand Theft Auto online but i guess like the mechanics and the physics of how those cars handle is going to be slightly different um, so I'll be curious to kind of see how that looks in comparison. Yeah. Um, Arc 2. Uh, again, talk about a hardcore online community. The people I know who are into Arc Survival Evolved are like, that's pretty much the only game they play. Um, so uh, happy for them, I guess. I've never really gotten into it. What a um, tragic existence. Talk about games that, like, I've been hearing about for so long, I fucking assumed it came out about five years ago. Uh, Scorn <laughs> showed back up. Um, like, I'm into the weird kind of, like, body horror, Geiger-esque design of this game, but, like, I can't fucking believe this game isn't already out. Um, but it is apparently coming out October 21st, and it'll be available day one on Game Pass. Oh, there's... No. Uh, there's at Not a Mark Robinson game, you'd be stunned no. to know. It was at this point in the thing where I was just like, I'm getting assaulted by these play it first on Game Pass <laughs> Chirons. Um, can I guess, Jack, maybe Scorn isn't for you either? Um, I don't know. It If it's free to play, I might play it. 
it just looks like juicy gore, to be honest. Mm. So, yeah. It does I, look very I, juicy. I, I, I enjoyed that a whole lot in Resident Evil 8. So, if I hear yeah. this game is decent, I might give it a shout. True enough. Flintlock Siege of Dawn didn't really do anything for me. Third person RPG. Uh, Minecraft Legends. Uh, action strategy just ringing every last bit we can get out of that IP. Um, I mean, you can't blame them for it. It's making no, I mean money. they they and they paid enough money for us. Like yeah. you know, uh, we got a Lightyear Frontier. It's um, you know, this article describes it as kind of like space Starview Star uh, Stardew Valley. Um, which is cool. I think, Mark, is it safe to say space games are back in a big way? Well, some seem uh, it, that and like, well, I mean, space and sci-fi, like, kind of combined and fused. We've got a bunch of them, but yeah, it does seem like space is a big thing, as we'll obviously mm. get to come the uh, the end of this mm-hmm. this bit. Uh, we got Gunfire Reborn, last case of Benedict Fox. Last um, case of Benedict Fox looks really cool. Uh, yeah. It's this kind of metroidvania style it has a, a metroidvania game it has this kind of gothic art style going to it i think the name of it is very cool mm-hmm. um this this was one of the the few games that really kind of stood out and popped um next up we have i i suppose we'll pivot straight to uh life is strange correspondent jack for this as dusk falls um it looks like an interesting drama yeah uh, I'm down. Uh, I, I'm always into games like this. They are 100% up my straza, and I look forward to making a case for it in Game of the Year, only for it to be outvoted by something that I don't know three of you played that I <laughs> didn't play at some point for best story. It's got a super interesting graphical style to it, like super yeah. super unique looking game. Yeah, it's uh, as the the article describes here. It's fully rotoscoped graphics. So yeah. Interesting take there on on that. Expensive, I would imagine. Um, then we've got uh, in maybe your winner for we're running out of names of games awards for this session. Naraka Blade Point, Blade Point, all one word. Um, that is coming to consoles for the first time, so it's on PC, I assume. Before um, crossplay confirmed, new campaign mode, and it's going to be out this coming week. That's pretty quick. Uh, one that I think might be your your Dave Ryan segment. Uh, Obsidian's next game, Pentiment. I have got to read this out because this is just like... It's a narrative crime story set in 16th century Bavaria. Pentiment follows Andreas Maller, <laughs> a travelling artist who stops at an abbey to make an illuminated manuscript, but the story takes a turn when Andreas' mentor is accused of murder. Now it's your job to solve the case, and apparently it could take up to 25 years and Andreas will keep getting caught up in incidents um look it's obsidian it's weird crime drama it's set in a very specific point in history uh you couldn't put this more up my alley if you tried obsidian blackbird raven at night indeed uh so we got grounded which has been an early access forever uh Ereban, shadow legacy uh diablo 4 uh, like again something that I don't think any of us are really into but that's a huge fucking name to drop in the middle of one of these um, what I really like about the fact with this game is that it's cross play and cross progression like I think yeah. that's fucking insane because mm-hmm. in theory like for me I probably would want to try this out now I guess I'd be curious to see how that would work in terms of 
I would probably have to buy two separate copies of the game, but then be able to like cross progress that way. So I'm not sure I would be too kind of inclined to buy two versions of it. Yeah. But in theory, being able to play a bunch on the PC, then hop on the couch and play some on the switch with that progression. Mm. Yeah. That's massive. Yeah, that is, that's cool. And hopefully that's something we, we see happen more as time goes on um sea of thieves still going strong season seven update coming to that i don't think any of us would have predicted it like when we saw that thing originally and when the kind of like the demo was out there like hey it seems cool but it really has got um a solid fan base who just play that shit all the time man i feel like once a year we have some sort of announcement it's kind of like no man's sky that's that reminder of oh yeah that thing exists and is still going and people are mm. still playing it and it's awesome that they are um i feel like i like the idea of sea of thieves more than i like the actual execution of it but it, you know it's mm-hmm. a it's an online thing so I'm, it's never going to be my jam yeah uh, yeah, you were saying, Jack? I was going to say, if you're Matthew Patel from Scott Pilgrim, you love this game. Hmm. Uh, then we've got Ravenlock. Uh, we've got Cocoon, which is the, the newest thing from the designer behind Inside and Limbo. And as a fan, Mark, of uh, Limbo in particular, um, are, is this something you're interested in? It's a bit like it's a it's a puzzle game. It's got that sci-fi vibe, like you said. Sci-fi is back in a big way. Um, but it does feel a bit different to those other games. Yeah, I mean, it's got... It definitely feels like... Because I think this one's been published by uh, Annapurna and certainly kind of fits within the mould of the types of things they've been doing. Yeah. Um, certainly, it's not doing the 2D side-scrolling thing. It's yeah. very, like... It's not quite top-down Zelda, but yeah. it's more or less at an angle. It- it very much wanted to show you with glee that it's moving along the y-axis as well yeah uh but yeah it looks it looks super cool it definitely looks like the kind of thing i would play it certainly is doing a sci-fi puzzle platforming kind of vibe it, look, it looks like the kind of thing i would play it's on game pass why the fuck would i not play it um but it's a 2023 release speaking of things that maybe you might play the new team ninja game jack or uh, mark um wolong fallen dynasty any any interest in that one? Um, you know, I'm not as like fussed about Team Ninja as some other people are. I obviously I love DMC Devil May Cry, but past that, I haven't really spent a lot of time with their stuff. So mm. I don't know, maybe. Um, uh, I don't know if you're inclined at all. Uh, but look, it looked, you know, it's kind of one of those. Let's wait and see. It's going to be on Game Pass, so fuck it. Like, um, that's my attitude to a lot of the games in here. Uh, then Jack, we got. I, I just want to check, Jack. Are you Team Ninja? Uh, I am I am a big fan of Team Ninja games normally. Um, you know, they're kind of in the doghouse at the moment from when they tried to pull that NFT shit a few months ago. But I think so many people tried to do that now that we just have to collectively forget it and move on, I suppose. <laughs> Although Bless. Sex Pistols are still trying to force Sex yeah. Pistol coin on us because yeah. that's so fucking punk. Uh, next up, we've got like just a big dump of Persona games. Persona 3 Portable, uh, Persona 4 Golden and Persona 5 Royal uh, all coming to Game Pass uh, Persona 5 Royal is the only one that has a release date so October 21st for that one Jack I, I don't know if you've ever tried the Persona games but they definitely feel like a franchise that Lord God if Jack Lazell ever gets into these we may never see him again yeah I think so 
Um, I just, I've just never got round to it. I, it's just one of those things again that's just on the list of things that I want to play. Um, Fred and Show Matt and Ina was trying to pitch very hard for me to play it. Um, I, I did get very close to playing Persona Five Royal. Um, I can't remember what I ended up playing instead. But um, at some point, if this is coming to Game Pass, you know, you gotta get the, on that shit. The barrier to entry being free all of a sudden makes it a lot more palatable for me to get yeah, involved. It's only like you got about 900 hours of gameplay there to, to work yeah. with. Well, uh, you know, I spent 150 hours completing Valhalla, Mark, so I don't yeah. mind that shit. Yeah, you did. As a long-suffering resident of Vita Island, Mark, I'm sure you remember that you couldn't go far on a recommended games for Vita list uh, without seeing Persona 4 Golden. People sunk hundreds of hours into that thing. I, I, people will keep telling me that Persona 5 was, is one of the games of this generation and I will continue to not care. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it doesn't Sorry, seem like a you type of game. Um, I love, no, like, I, I, yeah. I was going to say, I played, I think, I want to say I played about six hours of Persona 4 Golden and I just, I tried. I genuinely there, tried and I just, I couldn't. They, like, they have that know. classic JRPG thing of like, they take a while to get rocking and rolling. Um, Persona 5 might be more your jam because it starts off like mid dream heist. Um, so it's a bit more actiony up the top. Um, but it, so like this is the thing I'll say is like I've always I think now that I've I've gotten through the entire Yakuza series, I think that this is like Persona is the franchise that's left out there that I haven't really given a good crack of the whip to that I think I would be into if I did because what I will say is that aesthetically, the aesthetics of the Persona franchise, I am so into. Even down to, like, the little while I spent with Persona 5, I'm like, and it's such an unusual thing for me to note, it's not something I'm usually fixated on, but I'm like, man, these are some fucking class-looking menus. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, even the... I don't think mechanically you'll get on board of it, though. That's that's what I'm thinking. Well, uh, this is, the, uh, like, I think if I sit down and just kind of, like, go, no, Joe, I'm not bailing out until I get it, I think I, I'll be on board. But, um, you know, maybe this is the chance to, to give it a, a proper go. Who knows? Um, next up, Jack. Old Hideo showed up. Yes, he did. I was not expecting to see him at this here showcase. I thought he yeah. had some sort of like exclusive. If I show up on anything Microsoft related, um, I, I immediately set on fire kind of contract with Sony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which he, but then had to reiterate that, hey, I'm still doing stuff with Sony. It's all good. Yeah. So I think like it's a, it must be a more kind of like complex contract that we understand because I know that like they put a lot of cash in at the start to help Kojima Productions start up. Um, so I'm assuming they must get like that. Maybe they get first refusal on game pitches, or it's like his official thing is I'll make one for you, one for them. Um, I don't know. It's it, as ever with Hideo Kojima, motherfucker keeps you guessing. Now, yeah, as long as as long as he gets Michael Bay involved in this game, I don't care. Yeah, let's talk about the main event here, um, Starfield. And this Todd no, no, Skyrim. Yeah. Todd Howard and his one jacket came out to talk about this. And at first they show a trailer and I was like, it is really funny if this is all they show. It's just another pre-rendered trailer. But no, we actually got a good bit of gameplay and a good look at, you know, 
two of the things, like one of the things that um, Bethesda Games fans really want to see in these kind of things. And that's your your character creator and, and things like that. And they promise the most detailed character creator of all time. Uh, the thing that really appealed to me is that you can really, to a minute degree, build and customize your own starship that you will physically get to fly it's not just a you get in it and you teleport to the next level type thing so i'm super into that and then they took you to so the first oh so they talked about the planets in this and there is up to a thousand planets there's no guarantee that like all of them will have something interesting going on them but then they brought you to a mission that takes place on a planet they showed you and look guys um I am incredibly biased when it comes to games with this kind of vibe. Um, so I might step out, uh, step back from this if you guys want to uh, critique it, because I was just like, this fucking game has me day one, lads. Day one. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. The, the only thing I will say is that a Bethesda game that has a No Man's Sky aesthetic, if this game doesn't launch as a bo- broken buggy mess, I'd be more surprised yeah. than if it worked. No, lo- it, like- it will. You're, you're talking like a two-month minimum before this thing is like running smooth. Playable. Yeah. yeah. So and I, I don't think I'd want to be day one. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've been I've been screwed over before. I still have my copy mm. of Cyberpunk 2077 on the PlayStation yeah. Network. I'm probably never going to play. Yeah. The, the thing about Bethesda, though, like unlike Cyberpunk, that even when like that thing works a lot better now, but it's still just a fundamentally boring game to go. It's something that was documented on this podcast when Fallout 4 came out that I was so hyped for. Um, It was a broken piece of shit. And then I left it for... Oh, must be six months to a year, Mark, was it? And then I came back and I was like, man, if that had come out like that, that would have been my game of the year because it's so fucking good. Um, so, the, yeah, that's kind of disappointing. But hopefully it'll be it'll take less time than Fallout to fix because that was that was on fire when it came out. My my concern with the direction that a lot of this trailer presentation went there was a lot of like line goes up in terms of everything's bigger and therefore everything is better, you know, like bigger. it's the most, yeah, it's the most bigger. Uh, like robust, most expanded uh, character creator we've ever had. There's a thousand planets, this, that, and the other. But like I was looking at the actual gameplay footage and I was just thinking, I've seen a trailer like this seven, eight years ago. Obviously, this is a little bit nicer and the texture is a little bit cleaner and whatnot, but there's nothing here that looks in any way remarkable that would warrant this game taking as well, fucking long as it's well, been in development. Well, this is the thing about the, the Bethesda. Like, they, they, it's not that they look bad, but they don't... Like, I remember when Fallout 4 came out, and I was like, it's not blowing me away visually, but it's still, like, it's not bad either. Um, they've no, never it, it been known as the most incredibly like high in terms of visual fidelity studio. But that's not my, my issue. Isn't like in terms of how graphically, uh, like how pretty it looks. Because I'm no, that's yeah. not my my point. My point is the fact that in terms of the actual content and the gameplay and what's going on, it doesn't look in any way remarkable. And actually, in terms of like the color palette, maybe it was just that one planet that they were showing. Yeah, but it looks the thing. It looks so incredibly bland and my concern is that this whole like i you know one of the things i think a lot of people get fixated on and quite rightly so as well is the idea that 
there's over a thousand planets that you can go yeah. and explore. And it's like, well, you just, you run into the no man's sky conundrum here where yeah. that had an endless fucking universe to explore, yeah. but not many of those planets actually are particularly interesting. Yeah. And half the time they were broken and whatnot. So my hope would be that it's kind of one of those things <laughs> where like in a particular system, there's like maybe one to two planets that are worth exploring. And the rest of it is all kind of like barren planets for mining and things like that. Cause there's definitely a whole cloth lifted from no man's sky mining beam components for that. Then. Yeah, but you don't, but I suppose the thing about like people who, both play Bethesda games and really want a big sprawling space RPG is that they do want that shit. They want the feeling of scale because part of the whole like sci-fi immersive RPG experience is to feel like a tiny speck in a massive universe. So again, once it's a thing where the interesting planets are actually interesting, I'm I'm fine with that. And like I suppose I'm I'm holding out hope, like you said about that. We only we got to see the one planet where the color palette is kind of drab, and they did like my kind of holding on to hope element is that they did say it was just an abandoned moon they were on. Yeah. So hopefully, like you said, it is that kind of thing because it would be disappointing after. Now I know it wasn't in house; it was um, it was Obsidian, I think, that made it. But after the vibrant color of the outer worlds to take a step back in terms of like how alive the world feels um or the universe feels would be really really disappointing um but yeah no it's just funny that you're kind of hitting on that thing as like i don't i have no idea how it took this long and the only thing i could think of in my head as an explanation was it's fucking bethesda you know because yeah. like they announced this and elder scrolls 6 the same day and they said in the press this week that uh, Elder Scrolls 6 is still in pre-production <laughs> and that they've promised after that the next game from their studios is Fallout 5. Yeah. So but like look, Fallout I mean, 5 sometime it, in the early 2030s. Yeah. I mean, if it means that one of the reasons it's taken so long is that there's been additional uh, checks and, you know, the QA, QA team have been fucking working overtime to uh, find everything that is possible to find and this game actually releases on day one in a fairly functional state then uh, you know what that's fine I can accept that if if it comes out and it's Duke Nukem forever uh, (laughs) you will scratch your head as to how it took that long for sure oh boy Um, right I guess um, oh, unless, uh, Jack, sorry, do you have anything to, uh, like, how, how is your excitement or interest levels in, in Starfield? Uh, I think probably more curious than I was before, um, because it kind of, you know, didn't I didn't really have a picture of, of what it would be in my head. And it does look intriguing, but like I already mentioned, my main concern would be that it's buggy as hell and it doesn't really work too too well on launch. Um, and I think if games companies lose people in that launch window in the first couple of months, getting everyone back when they fix the game is insanely difficult to do. Uh, if you look at the sort of average daily user count, even for No Man's Sky, who perfected and made their game magnificent, they didn't get anywhere near the level of interest when they'd finally figured things I- out out as they yeah. had at the start i guess the one studio that has sometimes proven resistant to that is them because it's kind of like accepted w- by people because like skyrim on consoles was dog shit when it came out particularly on playstation and people still flock back to that and you know as the joke you can still buy skyrim on your fucking toaster nowadays so um 
Yeah, it will be interesting because I felt like we were right at the tipping point to kind of agree with what you said, Jack, with Fallout 4 when it was so broken. I was like, I don't think people are going to tolerate much more of the Bethesda cycle of things coming out, being on fire. And then Todd Howard having to do a press conference where he's doing kind of, look, we know, we know. Mate, um, Fallout 76. Oh. Mate, like, yeah. just why? Just release your game. Just push it back a few months. It's not hard. Um, in our final news story of the show, Mark, I heard that there's been absolutely no wrongdoing at Activision Blizzard, according to Check's notes. Activision Blizzard. Oh, look, they did a thorough investigation internally, you know, like, why? Why go outside? Why go find these, like, pesky uh, agencies that do this kind of thing? Like, we, they can do everything in-house, you know? Yeah. Like, why outsource this type of work? I, I'm I'm picturing it in my head as like, you know, like an Oscar ceremony where they announce the winner and it's like the investigation has concluded and it turns out opens the envelope and it just says, you've done a great job. <laughs> yeah, so Activision Blizzard says that an investigation conducted by Activision Blizzard has found no evidence of systemic gender-based misconduct at Activision Blizzard or that Activision Blizzard management intentionally ignored or attempted to downplay incidents of harassment at Activision Activision Blizzard when they occurred. The conclusion was shared by the company's board of directors in a June 16th filing with the US Securities and Exchange Commission. It begins by stating that the allegations in media and legal filings about our company were as distressing to us as they were to all of you and obliquely acknowledges that they have been some there have been some instances of workplace misconduct. The filing also says, however, that individual experience does not necessarily reflect the larger picture and points at progressively stronger, more decisive and coordinated steps it has taken including leadership changes to address shortcomings and better reflect the diversity of its audience. And yet, the company says that contrary to many of the allegations, there is no evidence to suggest that Activision Blizzard senior executives ever intentionally ignored or attempted to downplay the instances of gender harassment that occurred and were reported. I'd love it if their legal defense was like, no, we don't do gender-based harassment. We'll fucking harass anyone. <laughs> we are equal opportunist harassment. Uh, that's that's what we're supposed to do, right, guys? Yeah. If we ha- harass one woman, we have to harass a man as well. That's Look, there was fine. someone on one of those floors that didn't get abused, and that's just unfair as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. everybody needs to get involved. Yeah, this this was this was a bold fucking thing to put out there. I why, just, why are you surprised though? Like I'm this not surprised. Is, not surprised. Yeah. No, 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 in, no. In in any other week, this would be the f- like funniest attempt to downplay your own serious misconduct uh, I've seen online. But unfortunately, Vince McMahon fucking strode into the clearing at some stage on Thursday and he fucking got all these all video game Twitter stories were absolutely buried by the by that. And uh, we don't have the fucking time for that, let me tell you. Also, yeah. like the the thing with this whole statement, um and I'll get to further down as well, is it's not even just a, look, we did our investigation and we didn't find anything 
case closed, we shut up shop. It then goes into a full like finger pointing, ah, it's the media, the media is the problem here, right? So like the statement continues, it must be said that the company has been subject to an unrelenting barrage of media criticism that attempts to paint the entire company and many innocent employees with the strain of a very small portion of our employee population who engaged in bad behavior and were disciplined for it, the filing says. Well, no, the whole reason that this is being brought down on you is A, because your conditions are still fucking awful and like this is why you've got QA testers having to form their own unions. It, you've got the fact that your company had to be sold because your CEO is a piece of shit and like, you know, had to try and fling his hands of it, like and to try and kind of wrangle as much money as he could before the fire came down too much. Like, it's just, oh, all that, that whole little paragraph there really set me off in a way that I wasn't expecting. Your company had to be sold because your CEO is a piece of shit is a running theme this week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> potentially. Um, and unfortunately, yeah. there are a lot more that haven't been sold for uh, yeah. should have been by now. Uh, Sophie's choice: Vince McMahon or Bobby Kotick? Yeah, I know, right? Jesus, whoever wins, we lose. Um, I'm taking McMahon. I'm sorry, but that's an obvious answer for me. Well, Bobby Kotick is the literal Jack, devil. Jack, don't commit that to tape before the entirety <laughs> of <laughs> what is to come out about Vince comes out. Yeah, that's um, true. at least caught one or two enjoyable promos. That's about as much as of a... Yeah, he did the McMahon family prayer. Here's one thing about the Vince story, um, like before we wrap up, that I've been baffled by, is that I think there's been a lot of lazy journalism this week. In that This week? No, no, in that all the pictures of Vince that are being put in these mainstream news stories are fairly normal. And you want to talk about a man who it is not hard at all to find a picture of this man looking a perverted or too evil. <laughs> Maybe like, it's how is a- there no like how is like say the Forbes story not got the picture of him peeking up over the ring covered in blood I, against Hogan? I, I presume it's uh, we'll let the story speak for itself sort ha- of thing. How is no one using the picture of him eating fruit on the plane after he fires Commissioner Foley? Um, how is no one using the images of the McMahon family prayer or clips from said prayer or when he cuts a promo on his infant grandchild well, uh, I mean, how about many how he's going to beat Forbes, up Donald Trump? How many people from Forbes knew that he had a match against God? Like, that's the thing we need to establish here. Oh, God. Oh, just, yeah, the promo of him in the church. and uh, Yeah, so good. So good. Anyway, um, let's let's leave it on that. Um. Thanks very much for listening to another episode of Link to the Cast. Um, follow us on Twitter at Link to the Cast if you want to keep up with uh, what we're doing, um, what we're covering, uh, interact with us. Do you want us to play something? What have you thought about the things we're talking about on the show? That All that good jazz. Uh, favorite Morbius memes, you know, the usual. Uh, individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell. And the absent Extreme G is at Garrett Kidney. Uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening to another episode of Length of the Cast. We shall see you next week.